And folks, we are live. I'll bring our special guest on in just a minute. Um, I, I hope you guys really enjoyed today's episode. I definitely reached out into the audience with a direct email uh, to the uh, reluctant holdouts within the uh, within the community with Bitcoin because I think today's topic is going to kind of demonstrate that this is becoming more about technology than just about Bitcoin as something you buy and hold. And is Bitcoin enabling the technology that that kind of matches up with the Segment I did last week on Thursday about the new Galt's Gulch is using technology to hide in plain sight and to build things in an uninterruptible, uncensorable way. Uh, my guest today is going to talk to us all about that. He's an awesome dude and a co-founder of Geyser, which is an app that is enabling uh, cross-border, uncensorable crowdfunding. Just real quick before I bring him on, though, I want to let you guys know about our sponsor of the day today. Uh, recently, I added John Bush as a sponsor, and he's got a really cool offer for you guys today in the realm of homesteading, which is a big topic here at the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. He's putting on an online seminar. That means you can attend without actually leaving your house. It's 57 bucks, and it is about budget homesteading. John and and uh, and and Rebecca Powers are going to be covering stuff like how to grow pounds of fresh organic food and eat year round, whether you live on a tenth of an acre suburban homestead or even a cramped apartment. Buying high quality food your family loves at bargain prices at selected stores online and offline. Where to shop, what to buy, tricks to use, and more. Strategically stocking and prepping enough food to feed you and your family during a blackout, a riot storm, you name it. Eliminating debt, slashing expenses. Best part of all is if you get your ticket before this Friday, you also get two awesome bonuses, a workshop with Marjorie Wildcraft on how to grow half your food in your own backyard, and a workshop from Paul Wheaton on the SKIP program. Of course, Paul is also a sponsor, so many of you guys are familiar with him. With that, I want to go ahead and bring our special guest on. Uh, and I don't want to butcher your last name, Mick. Um Mick Morachi? Is that how I say it? Because I, I hate when somebody says my last name wrong, but Mick Morachi, co-founder of Geyser. Welcome to the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout, bro. Oh, man. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure and honor to, to be on it. Um, I honestly found out about you guys, and I think this is really interesting in where kind of layer three tech and apps are going is it's less competition and more collaboration between different entities instead of everybody trying to like grab their own piece. I think everybody in this world has figured out like the more we do together, the more we build everything, the better for everyone, the rising tide in all boats, because I was using the breeze app as part of the value for value network for podcasting. And I, I was like, I found their little point of sale app in there. And I was like, that's really cool. And then I realized that they were like taking partners and nesting other naps apps in theirs. And I found geyser and I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is interesting because for a very long time I've been saying Bitcoin will eat everything and I knew it would, but I didn't know how. And lightning right. has evolved to where like now I see it's good. Like it is the apex T-Rex in the room. And one of the things I said that it would eat would be crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And when I saw you guys were doing like, this is amazing. 
<laughs> and so I want to get deep into what Geyser can do with crowdfunding, cross-borders, uncensorable. But can we start off with how, because I, I find everybody in this space, some point has their Bitcoin Genesis personal block, right? Mm-hmm. You got involved with Bitcoin. How, how and why did you get involved with Bitcoin in the first place, Mick? Oh, yeah, that's uh, the Genesis story question. It's, it's always interesting. For, for me, it was, I guess, alongside what a lot of other people say, uh, I first heard about it in 2010 in university when a friend of mine invited me over to his dorm saying, hey, Mick, uh, we're here with a friend. Let's let's buy some Bitcoin. And I said, what the hell is this thing? I'm not interested. Uh, and so I rejected that offer uh, uh, regretfully. And then, you know, it kept on popping up here and there once in a while. Uh, and then I uh, rediscovered it when some friends mentioned that I thought were, you know, trustable sources uh, and really made me kind of think, OK, actually, I don't know enough about this to really have a good say on it on it. Uh, and that's when I started going down the rabbit hole, doing doing the research. And for me, it, it clicked quite quickly, actually. Um, my background is in anthropology uh, and, and economics. So having studied both helped me get this sort of, uh, first of all, this understanding that like no discipline knows truth. Like everyone's trying to figure it out. And actually every single discipline on its own, uh, taken as like a face value will probably be wrong on a lot of things. And so with that multi, multidisciplinary kind of background in mind, uh, I was, I think a lot more flexible to understanding. Okay. Let's, let's, let's assess what this other um, uh, and, uh, you know, this other entirely new system, uh, is saying uh, about the world and reality. And that's what Bitcoin is really. It's a, it's an entirely new beast. Um, and so I think because of that, I was quite open to it. Um, and, uh, to me, economics always had a lot of gaps. I was never very happy and satisfied with a lot of the answers. Um, uh, Bitcoin, I, I learned more about money. What is money? Uh, uh how does money work? Just by studying Bitcoin and studying economics, um, so yeah, I felt like okay, well, this is this this is this this is this is next level shit, um, <laughs> and that's where I uh, looked into um, yeah, like that's where I met the, the the community on Twitter uh, that through memes and gifs were able to explain Bitcoin better than uh, uh, PhD level textbooks, um, and so yeah, I think that's sort of how how I got started in it. And then I was working in, in the realm of uh, user experience design uh, for like a good five years uh, in the fintech space and, and also crypto. I then moved over to uh, and I was always like a Bitcoiner, uh, but also like playing around with other other cryptocurrencies as well. And even ended up working for an Ethereum uh, kind of company, looking at what they were doing, uh, which was a really good kind of startup experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but also kind of realize, okay, this is actually not, not really for me. I think what Bitcoin is doing is, is so much more foundational. Uh, so it's, it's so important for civilization itself. Uh, okay. I, I, I think really needs to be something here. So I started working on this project, uh, around two years ago. Well, actually a year ago. Um, uh, two years ago, I met my co-founder. Stadios was not here at the moment, but, uh, um, and together sort of we decided to kind of jump in this, in this endeavor. Uh, and, and kind of realizing how um, how old crowdfunding is, how 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 hasn't really innovated at all, and what Bitcoin enables is so powerful that we could really uh, there could really be something here for us. Um, 
Um, and so, yeah, this is actually how, how Geyser uh, eventually started. And also, I think a key other component of Geyser was the Lightning Network. Just seeing how, how sophisticated, how much growth is happening in Lightning uh, really made us think, okay, uh, this is actually the right time to start building, uh, like you said, like third third layer solutions uh, on, yeah. on top of Lightning. It sounds like like me, you you came through with some altcoin stuff along the way, and for me, I kind of got drug kicking and screaming away from it. Every time an innovation in Bitcoin showed up, like, well, here's this nine thousand altcoins that now long, no longer have a use case scenario, and as Lightning matured over this last year. It pretty much killed everything with any use case whatsoever, in my opinion, other than maybe like the complete total ultra privacy coin for privacy transfer of wealth to individuals. And I think we're getting more and more privacy tools in Bitcoin. But do you do you feel that other cryptos at this point even matter? And and what do you feel makes Bitcoin different from like what we call cryptocurrency? Because I think most people are kind of like trying to blur those two together. And I think that the Bitcoin space is emerging with we're Bitcoin. We're not cryptocurrency. We're, we're Bitcoin. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I, I think you're absolutely right. We came out of a good, well, that's been like 10 years, right? But like the whole crypto, crypto kind of uh, growth um, has existed. Well, since the very, very beginning, but it has like, if you look at the number of coins being created every year, it's kind of been a little bit like an exponential curve, but actually this year, 2020, uh, one was it 2021 had the same number of bit of cryptocurrencies being created as 2020 or actually oh, it was wow. just slightly higher, higher. But so what you're seeing is now is like the sort of plateauing of, okay, we've like the kind of, I think there's a realization happening. Um, but in terms of the, uh, I think, so I think a lot of that growth, uh, uh, it's probably just a sign of the fact that if you look at what Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is an open system. It's an open protocol. Um, and so it's super easy to just take that and copy paste that and maybe make some change some design decision of Bitcoin and try to like maybe apply those different uh, parameters or criteria to a different use case. Um, the problem is that what we're solving here for is the use case of money. And the money is um, something that has to be incredibly simple. I think I've heard it once described as like a sphere. Like money has to be a sphere because it can be reutilized in so many different ways. Versus imagine playing football or soccer with a, with a square. That's not going to work very well. So like you get out. So that's why if you look at, if you think about, uh, uh, spheres and balls are used in so many different sports because it's, they're so, um, they're so usable. They're so usable in so many different contexts and scenarios, right? And nobody plays a game with a square, and right. And so, <laughs> money has to be something incredibly simple, uh, verifiable, transparent, and predictable. And so, what a lot of these other crypto cryptos try to do is that they try to win on other features like complexity, uh, yeah. when actually you're trying. What you end up doing there is actually end up in a race to make it more ever more complex to find that use case that never comes. And I think that's the kind of the the problem with Ethereum. But I think the biggest problem of all of them is like, well, first of all, as I just said, they're all trying to scramble for a use case uh, when actually Bitcoin has nailed it from from day one, which is a, a crazy thing to say, because who the who the hell gets things right in the first? You're allowed to say fuck on right? here, just so you know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. Uh... <laughs> okay, cool. You don't have um, to, but if you feel like I won't, you, I, you let it flow. I won't. No, but it, it's it's. Uh... 
We've right, it's the, just so the full beauty of the English language at TSP. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Let's sir. do that. I like that uncensored. I like it. So, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's just so bizarre to think that on the first go, uh, it would come up with something so uh, so simple and yet so so right. Um, and uh, and so everyone's trying to win on different different criteria and uh, in doing so kind of failing because what we're talking about here is like a, a foundational layer of, 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 of truth. Um, mm-hmm. There's a second element of it that where there, everyone else is losing and it's just the proof of work. Like proof of work is such a key element of Bitcoin because it sort of, it creates this system in which it doesn't matter how many Bitcoins you have, you cannot change the rules. If you have 99% of the Bitcoins, you still cannot uh, uh, change the rules because it's based on just the, the computational power, the, the energy that gets, uh, that gets computed, um, to secure the network, to validate the, the transactions. And so something like Bitcoin is like pretty much all of the hashing power that gets used by, by, by miners is going into Bitcoin, which makes every other blockchain out there, uh, you know, a, a lot less, um, a lot less secure because mm-hmm. people are just not verifying Ethereum uh, uh, and, and, and other uh, other cryptos, uh, proof of work cryptos, um, because of because of the fact that less miners are actually mining it. And this is why Ethereum is trying to move to proof of stake because they kind of have to, um, otherwise they're they're screwed. And then the, the third key element that for me was critical is just seeing the state of these what are called layer twos, right? So. Like going back a few years, I think with the block wars of 2017, when the Bitcoin blockchain split into two with Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash um, or Bcash uh, due to the fact that uh, people wanted to make more transactions uh, and so they wanted to double the the, 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 the block size. Right. So um, the the whole the whole learning there was just the fact that – you, you don't want to be moving the, the goalpost uh, every few years just because you need a little bit more, uh, a little bit more space in, in the block size. The key learning there is that the blockchains don't really scale. Like the blockchain is just this, this truth system, uh, this truth machine that just essentially uh, is used as a sort of very basic settlement layer. And what you need to make this into a scalable system that can be used not just two times by, by factor of two, but by a factor of millions is the secondary layer solution. And if you look at what Bitcoin is doing with Lightning, it's it's at a completely different degree of mm-hmm. of of of, of uh, complexity and um, um, uh, and robustness than what's being done in in other in other chains. So if you look at uh, what, what's happening with, with Bitcoin layer two lightning, it's a system that is interoperable with all these other, with all these players. So uh, there's, there are three, at least three key uh, uh, builders, uh, uh, executions of the lightning network, like uh, L, uh, LND, C lightning, Eclair, and they all speak to each other. If you look at Ethereum, you have all these L2, layer two solutions that don't speak to each other. So it's like these are like closed systems. Uh, not only that, but Ethereum layer twos have their own tokens. So essentially they are blockchains on top of blockchains. So 
you you you're you're not building a robust system that can scale. So what you're getting it actually is a, a layer two that ends up with high um, um, with high number of transactions and therefore costly transactions, slow transactions. Uh, it's, again, it's not scalable. So what you have with Bitcoin and with Lightning is a very very robust system to create these. Uh, this what's called a transactional layer. Like Bit- yeah. Bitcoin and the blockchain is a sort of truth settlement layer, uh, and um, that is very slow, uh, but is reliable. And then on top of that is where you build these these systems that are transactional for like your everyday actual payment payments network users. is not the base layer; it's a layer on top of it. Which, to me, exactly. if you think about it, in any other monetary instrument, we've never expected the monetary instrument to be the to be the only payments network. So even if you look at fiat and cash, like it can be its own network because I can meet you and you could say you want a coffee from my store and I can you give me a $5 bill and I give you 50 cents back, right? And that in a way that's a monetary network, but to Absolutely. make fiat really move, they created like the legacy payments network like the 1950s Visa Mastercard payment network and and they're not the same thing. One is a layer oh. on top of the other, right? When we look at exactly. Bitcoin the, the beauty of Bitcoin is it's programmable, mo- programmable money, and we want people to be able to take risks, to innovate, to do new things. Sometimes those new things won't work. So by having a layered approach, you can do something really radical, and if it doesn't work, Bitcoin doesn't care, and somebody else can mm. build a technology that will work, and it preserves and protects the immutability of, of, the, of the base layer of the network, which is Bitcoin. And if you look at something like Bitcoin Cash, which – Basically, that's like securing your lock hasp with the Cheeto today with the with the freaking hash power it has. If it ever did, the amount of transactions it, it, it touts itself as being able to be, you'd have to buy a new terabyte freaking um, hard drive every month for eternity to be exactly. able to continue to run your own node. Where with Bitcoin, yeah. it's scaled. It's done exactly what it's supposed to do, and. Just as if I went to a bar, like I'm going to a Bitcoin meetup tonight. We're going to go to a bar. I'm going to open a tab and I'm going to close it at the end of the night. I'm not going to pay for every single individual Mm. transaction. There's going to be a security mechanism, which is going to be my fold card that I'm going to earn sats on, right? And that's going to be to the bartender that I've never met before. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know I'm going to pay my bill. I'm going to open a a channel and then at the end of the night, I'm going to close the channel. And if you start right. thinking about it that way, lightning makes perfect sense. And then you move on. Like, we're not going to get into this because it's not really your world so much. I don't think anyway. But, you know, lightning can use Bitcoin to move dollars across the world in seconds. Mm. Like, once you get there, then it all starts to really gel into, like, these other these other currencies, if they're even – you call them currencies. They're like they're like tokens for partial ownership of a technology. It's it's more right. – it's, it's a, I, I don't like to use legalistic words, but they're unregistered securities. That's that's what they are, and Bitcoin is its own kind of thing with its own right. immaculate conception. Uh, absolutely, and and I think the key test of that is can you shut them down? And uh, I'd be curious to see. I think a lot of the companies, cryptos out there, uh, that declare themselves to be decentralized are, as they say, uh, dinos, decentralized and name only. Yeah. Uh, if you really to go there, you know, what what would happen if the if the government was to say, okay, shut down the Ethereum Foundation? Shut down the Solana Foundation. Right. If you have a CEO, you're not decentralized. If if a small number of people can change everything about your project because they decided to, you're not decentralized, right? Like so I do think some of the forks maybe, you know, they're not as good, they're not gonna make it, but they're they're not 
they're not Ethereum's or Cosmos's or whatever, right? They're not, right. they're not a company, but any company can be. I'm not saying it will, but it can be. If there's a building yeah. with a name on it and you exist here, right? Then we can shut you down. Um, Ethereum could shut down any token built on Ethereum. The Ethereum Foundation could just decide they don't like it and turn it off. Like we know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and to kind of echo, I think something that's super really important is just the the fact that if you look, you have to kind of look at what exists today, right? And uh, if you look at the current financial system, and Nick Batia, who wrote Layered Money, explained this incredibly well. But it's very much a type of tiered, kind of cake, kind of layered approach, mm-hmm. where if if you look at Fedwire, which is like the layer zero of the current system where the Fed essentially gives out money, uh, lends out money to, to private banks. That's called Fedwire. And it actually has a similar latency to Bitcoin. So it, it, it sends out a payment every roughly 10 minutes. Um, so that's a type of thing that's like really like big transaction, big ball transactions uh, that um, uh, that don't need to have speed yeah, they just, they just need to, to have reliability. And then on top of that, you have like banking, banking settlement layers. And then on top of that, you have what, what we use today, which is just kind of credit card uh, payments. So, mm-hmm. But it is a tiered approach that has different uh, kind of uh, uh, give and takes uh, and, uh, and and requirements. And yeah, I really love how you put it that, you know, Bitcoin, you can build these, all these layers on top of it and maybe the others Maybe there are experiments that they can fail, uh, but Bitcoin will be this sort of reliable rock, this reliable foundation that you can uh, even, even to start with just put your savings in. Um, but I think Lightning is proving itself to be like every day more and more reliable. There is still, I believe, five percent of transactions that are that are failing, especially those that are uh, like higher like higher order, like higher amounts payments, just because the network is still part- is still not. Not massive, uh, but as we begin begin to see more uh, uh, more bigger players starting to provide liquidity, a lot of these are going to go away. We're still so early, uh, but I think as soon as you have banks starting to you know run their nodes, and maybe we'll begin to see. I, I, this is sort of my personal theory is that I think we'll start seeing more uh, whether they're you know new Bitcoin banks or tra- the traditional banking companies starting to say, okay, you know what? Bitcoin actually is a viable tool uh, for for uh, for global settlements and global payments. So we're going to start running a node and start creating channels and put in a lot of Bitcoin uh, as liquidity and uh, charge just the, the routing fees. Which are much lower than the legacy payment networks, or oh, what, yeah. what Jack Mahler calls the boomer network, right? Like he's right. Like, Check you boomers out, 3%, right? Like, and, and it's like basically a bunch of phone calls instead of like this instantaneous settlement. And I think one of the important things that people should understand when you say like 5% of transactions fail, that doesn't mean there's money lost. It just means the transaction doesn't go through and, and I still have my coins. But there are some ways yeah. you can lose money playing with a lightning node. I've not lost any. Um, and I'm finding the network to become more and more reliable. There'll be people listening to the audio version of this later today, and they'll literally on an app like Fountain or Breeze be mm. streaming me one Satoshi a minute reliably. Wow. And that, that's how, how do you even take the Boomer Network and try to compete with that? You're talking a fraction of a fraction of a penny per minute 
in a high-frequency transactional state through an app that doesn't care who I am and doesn't care. And that's I want to move on to Geyser because in, in some ways that's what Geyser doesn't really care who is on either side of the transaction, just that both wish to participate and built on that layer. So as a bridge there, mm-hmm. can you just give us like your short version of how the Lightning Network works? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, Lightning is, is, is a complicated system, much more complicated even than, than Bitcoin. And I don't claim to be, uh, you know, the, the main expert. Maybe Stelios, my co-founder, would have been, uh, uh, to provide a more high fidelity, uh, kind of assessment of it. But my general take is in the way that I actually uh, visualize it is a bit like if people created bridges, like if, if, you know, if you, hold, if you consider, visualize that if you hold Bitcoin and what Bitcoin is, is people holding these, uh, these these assets. It's not entirely correct because you're not actually holding anything. But imagine, if you imagine holding this asset, and then you, what you do with Lightning is you kind of you sh- you shake hands with someone, and that's creating a channel. And if everyone's shaking uh, both hands with different people, you create this network, and that's essentially what Lightning is. Uh, is that it's it's a protocol. Um, it's a communication protocol actually, where people are shaking their hands and the Bitcoin are allowed to flow from person to person in a way that uh, you don't actually need to do that in a permission type of way. People just, uh, the, the, the Bitcoin just kind of flow from person to person. Um, and that's essentially using a smart contract that locks in Bitcoin between two, two parties. So what you actually are transacting are real, uh, are actual Bitcoins that you can redeem. And so there is no IOU. There is no like trust involved. It's, it's an incredibly powerful system that, that it's just a very smart tool. Like, you know, Bitcoin has an incredible uh, burst of genius. Uh, Lightning is also an incredibly powerful, creative uh, way, um, a roundabout way of making it so that you can use Bitcoin to, to pay, uh, but, uh, with, with, um, you know, with microtransactions, super low fees and instant settlements. And I think, you know, I've had people tell me things like, well, Lightning is fractional reserve for Bitcoin. And I'm like, I don't want to be offensive, but either you're ignorant or you're lying. Yeah. And you need to let me know which one it is, because if it's ignorance, we can we can explain it. And if you're lying, then we need to end the conversation because we don't make more Bitcoin with Lightning. That's not how it works. And anybody who's ever put themselves through the learning curve pain of running a node and like, OK, I've opened this channel. Well, now can I send? Well, you can send, but so I can receive. Well, no, not until you send. Well, why not? Well, all the liquidity is on your side of the chain. Like once you do it, you're like, okay, well, there's no way this could, doesn't even compare to some sort of fractional reserve thing. And you, no, you no, start no. figuring out loop outs. And I don't want to get too technical today, but like when I started running a node, I had my web admin that does all the web admin for my show kind of handhold me through it. And once you do it, you're like, oh, I get it. But until you do it, it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. I totally and I agree. And it's the same with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. It's like only once you get your wallet and understand how the hell this works, then that you can really say, okay, wow, I understand now. Um, yeah. When you realize, okay, these 12 words secure my Bitcoin, that's my yeah. Bitcoin. And I think yeah. the hardest thing that people understand is because they'll start using a software wallet like Exodus or what have you. And then they're like, so my, my Bitcoin's in Exodus. No. Your Bitcoin's in blockchain. You right. control it, and Exodus is a GUI, right? It's a, it's a user interface, and you could take those 12 words and put them in a totally different wallet and control your Bitcoin from that wallet. You can, And once that finally clicks, 
I own this by possessing knowledge and knowledge alone. I could yeah. get on a plane with my last clothes that I own, have the government strip everything from me, get off a plane in another place, download a piece of software. If I have those 12 words somewhere I can get to them or memorized, I can stick those 12 words in and that wealth cannot be taken from me. I have sovereignty mm. on that wealth. Click. And I think lightning, you have to take like this, like you have to have that the Bitcoin click first. It's like a puzzle, yeah, right? You yeah. have to put the base together and then you can install layer two, right? And install it mentally as well. Um, Absolutely. So let's get into Geyser. I'm going to bring up right now uh, a screenshot or not a screenshot. Actually, your your your, your page, Geyser.fund, uh, in just a second. But what is Geyser and how does it work? Yeah, good, good question. So Geyser is what we call a lightning native Bitcoin crowdfunding platform. And I guess to, to kind of make that point a bit clear, Geyser is essentially a platform that allows anyone anywhere to fund projects um, uh, that are related to Bitcoin. So at the moment, uh, Geyser is still in a pilot phase, so we, 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 you are not yet able to create a, a campaign. We have to sort of do that uh, for you initially, but we're currently building a creation flow so that anyone will be able to use Geyser in a, in a, in a permissionless sort of way. And what you see here are all Bitcoin related initiatives. So we want to, uh, anyone will be able to create crowdfunding campaigns, no matter your, your beliefs. We still are very much about, um, you know, freedom of speech. And if you want to raise campaigns for, for, for anything, uh, we'll, we'll be open to that, but we will always keep the Geyser front page to be focused on Bitcoin initiatives. So what you see here are Bitcoin education projects, uh, people doing, uh, car racing, uh, doing movies and documentaries, uh, orange filling people in, in, in different parts of the world, even, uh, even have an anonymous, uh, 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 metallic, uh, metallic music, heavy metal music focused on Bitcoin. And, uh, this is, uh, Geyser Grant. So essentially we have partnered with, uh, with some, uh, with actually is now actually an anonymous Bitcoiner who's donated three Bitcoin for us to give out to Bitcoin, to, to Geyser campaigns, um, uh, and, and also beyond Geyser campaigns. So any applicant that is doing and building stuff on top of Bitcoin. So actually we just closed it around 10 days ago and we received 80 applications and just one month. And so these are 80 people that are doing things for Bitcoin education, Bitcoin culture, meaning movies, uh, documentaries, et cetera, and also Bitcoin builders. Um, and so I think if you, if, to really understand what we're doing here is, I guess for the first step, think of Kickstarter, right? Uh, but on Kickstarter, you, you cannot do two, two key things. The first thing is, is you cannot create a campaign from say Argentina or from Brazil or from the Philippines. So, uh, Geyser, because we are building, building this permissionless, borderless, uh, monetary system, we go from day one to being global. We don't need to open a bank account in, uh, in, in, in Australia. Like it just, it just works anywhere, right? Obviously we need to be careful with this kind of sanctioned countries, but apart from that, we, we can operate anywhere. And then secondly, um, it's, to fund a project on Kickstarter, you need to go on kickstarter.com and fund from there. Whereas with Geyser, because it's, a, again, an open network, you can fund Geyser campaigns from anywhere. 
So to give, to bring back to the example that you said, right, that there may be people on Fountain boosting you, boosting your podcast. Well, we've integrated with Fountain in a permissionless way. We didn't ask Fountain, can we do this? We just did it. Uh, and right. what happens is like, we have our own geyser podcast. And when people go on, on our podcast and listen to it and boost it, um, all the Satoshis, 95% of the Satoshis go to the person's campaign. Oh, right. And that's that. using lightning addresses and things like that. And so we get this into this place where it's just this interoperable, excuse me. Uh, it's a <laughs> interoperable, uh, system where, um, uh, you can fund from anywhere. And so just to give a few more examples, you have uh, podcasting that we're integrated. So if you're in Breeze or Fountain, you can fund Geyser projects from there. Uh, you can also fund from um, from Twitter and Facebook because now what we have is we have static lightning addresses using this protocol called LNURL uh, so that actually you have this, uh, this QR code uh, that you can paste on Twitter that people can fund from and that payment will be viewed on Geyser, will go to the campaign, right? So again... You, you don't need to come to Geyser. Uh, you can front from anywhere. Uh, and as long as you use that lightning address and that QR code, all those transactions will be supporting a project, a campaign. As long as the um, sender's using a, a lightning wallet that supports LNURL or what have you. Like if you're using Wallet Satoshi, exactly. no problem. You can exactly. send anywhere. My, my lightning address for my wallet of Satoshi is beefy Persian 37. <laughs> wallet of Satoshi. Uh, like, huh? And I'm like, you I know, know I can like, reapply to get a different. I'm like, no, I'm going to run with that, man. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're a carnivore, the beefy one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's amazing. Like what you just said there, we just did a, a, a round table with Guy Swan and Brian Harrington, uh, from Choice and from Bitcoin Audible about layer three tech. And one of the things we came away with was, and the two of them were just mesmerized, honestly, that I was like, I got you two big names on the podcast. I'm going to give you both 20% of all boosts and uh, streams in perpetuity right. for that, just that one episode, though. And I, <laughs> I showed them how I could do it in Swan, or not in Swan, in, uh, in Fountain in like two minutes. Yep. Like either yep. you're in Fountain and I use your username or you give me your pub key. Either way, and boom, it's done. And, and what I said is, you know, if you had a, a podcast, you know, my podcast is a pretty big podcast, and you had a guest on that you would vouch for and say, like, this guy's house burned down or something. could be anything, right? could be fundraising or you're talking about for a project or it could be some charitable case or anything like that. You could just literally say, I'm going to just push everything from this episode to them. They don't need to be a podcaster. They mm -hmm. could just set up an account with, let's say, right. Fountain. And they have a wallet, and it just goes there. And I, the beauty of that, though, is, and I'm sure this works for you guys, too, unless I'm running the node, maybe I have a small transaction fee, but in the end, I'm, I'm out of the way. Like, I'm not sitting like uh, GoFundMe, and I have to account right. for the money in and the money out. I didn't touch the money that you sent to Bill. It yeah. just went to Bill. Maybe I charged a node fee or something. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a spectacular um, I, I, I believe, yeah, I believe they use this, this thing called a TLV, which is, uh, essentially, uh, 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 within the podcasting 2.0, uh, system that exists within a, a lightning. It's essentially a lightning improvement proposal that worked, that, that was made specifically for, for the podcasting, uh, solution. And, um, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. And I, I, I think we'll probably end up 
building something similar, but for uh, for for crowd for for crowdfunding essentially. Um, but but before I get there, I think that there's a third. So I mentioned the the key point being kind of really borderlessness, right? But geographic borderlessness, yeah. but also platform borderlessness. Mm-hmm. You can fund from any platform, right? And uh, and and thirdly, well, there's the important element of um, obviously of 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 um, of censorship. Um, so obviously, as we've seen with with in, with the Canadian truckers uh, last year, there there is a very I mean, every funds that you receive on this platform are going to be potentially seized and they're not really your funds, right? So with, with, with Geyser, uh, our, you know, Bitcoin ethos pushes us to ensure that we give that option when people uh, re- really want it. We find that most projects have absolutely like just are, are very, I uh, don't have any particular revolutionary intentions. Um, but even then it's still very important for us to provide that. Uh, that optionality. Now we, and so moving forward, as soon as currently the way we work is that we use Voltage, which is a non-custodial solution working on the cloud. Uh, but going forward, we'll allow people to connect their own node. Um, and, uh, but also we will provide a custodial solution because we found just from research and talking to our users that a lot of people just are not running their nodes and they just want to make it really easy for them and they just want to do a small Kickstarter. So, you know, wh- why not do that? So we will provide a custodial solution that is cheaper as well um, and really easy to set up because part of our mission at Geyser is, is making this a tool that is 10x the user experience of, mm-hmm. of say, Kickstarter. And so to challenge that, we, we, we do want to make it uh, make that like the entryway Right. For people to explore more uh, about Bitcoin. So providing also that as a solution, the custodial solution. Um, yeah, but obviously, also, second. yeah, let me just let me hold you there a second, because there's a, that's a word that people see as a bad word. And I think it's depending on how it's applied, which is custodial versus non-custodial. Yeah. When it comes to holding your wealth in Bitcoin long term. Yeah, baby, you want you, you want as much self-custody as you can. Gold standard would be you run your own node and you got a hardware wallet. Right. But at least you want to be in a non-custodial wallet situation. Right. When it comes to yeah. certain other things, though, like running a something on a platform, if you look at – if somebody would say to me, are you you holding your Bitcoin in lightning form in a non-custodial way? I would say yes, because I'm running my own node. But no, because there's always 100 bucks or so in Wallet of Satoshi because I use it to loop my equity around in a circle by opening a channel with them. And because at any given time, there'll be 10,000 to 100,000 sats in Fountain until I extract it. So if you're doing fundraising, having that fundraising in that situation, because you don't want to run a node, like a lot of your people right now, they are Bitcoin projects. So it's probably not something that's that challenging for them. But as you expand in somebody's like saying, I want to put in a, uh, a you know a, a greenhouse in an urban center and provide jobs for veterans. Like that person right. might not have, they might understand Bitcoin, they might know know how to convert it to dollars, they might know how to pay bills with yeah. it, but that person probably shouldn't expend resources trying to balance liquidity to receive donations. That doesn't even make sense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, I, part of that reason is that we just like the technologies isn't there yet. Yeah. Um, unless you're running your node, there isn't at the moment a viable, cheap solution for creating non-custodial wallets for every user on a platform. 
The closest no. thing you can get is what Voltage provides, which is a great solution, uh, but it is still a, a little bit expensive. So if you want to create a project and you know you only get like ten dollars. You, you might yeah. have to pay the ten dollars to, to run that node for you. And yeah, I, you I run a Voltage node because it was like right. I, I thought Voltage was a great way to learn, so I run one. It cost me yeah. about twelve bucks a month. So if I'm not yeah. doing at least twelve dollars in business, I'm paying to do my thing, right? And right, right. You know, I, I think it's and I did it because it was like I, I have a Start Nine node and I've got a Voltage node and it's letting me learn. Uh, so to me, I'm like paying tuition. But if, if I'm trying to run a going concern, I'm trying to get something off the ground. I don't have, I don't have the time. It doesn't make the financial sense. The other thing with the custody thing is I think that the fact that you can do a thing often means that you won't have to. So if an entity knows that I can take custody at any time and teleport it across the world, then I'm less likely to be attacked. It's like I've got a nuclear button. I prefer yeah. not to use it. I would like to work with you. I would like to do as much as I can to comply with what I think is reasonable. But if mm -hmm. you force me, all I have to do is withdraw. And I can withdraw yeah. out of my own node on Lightning, or I can withdraw back on Chain. And then I can I can manage my funds from there. So I don't think this is a problem. I think that yeah. what you're describing is a solution for a lot of people that otherwise mm. wouldn't participate, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um but yeah, we're, we're paying very close attention and uh, as soon as more non-custodial, like easy to use tools come about, uh, which I think they will very soon, uh, we'll definitely j jump on board as well. Uh, I'm interested that. as to how you think that might work because I, I can't get my head around a cheap, easy, like if I set up a Bitcoin wallet, I don't so, really have to do anything. Yeah, so right? it wouldn't be like the full thing, right? It wouldn't be like okay. uh, like Voltage, which is actually going all the way as far out in this other, at the end of the spectrum in terms of making every uh, every user into giving them a, a node to set up, right? So yeah. it, you'd have actually something a little bit more nuanced, where maybe there is still a a, a platform that provides a non a, a wallet, but yeah. your wallet. So your your wallet will be a non-custodial wallet um, uh, on their node. So they're still running the node, but they don't have ownership of the funds. So what you have now on Fountain is literally you just you're just an entry in a database, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're they're totally custodial. They can they can you know take your money if they wanted to. They of course they won't do that. But, yeah, right, right. Uh, but th this alternative would be essentially a bit like that. Uh, but they, 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 they would need, this is some sort of like multi-sig type of thing going okay. on where you need to provide a signature for those funds to be um, moved, moved around. Or maybe uh, now, to be taken off the node, but, but like it would have to be able to move because that, that is how the liquidity pool is formed, right? But so maybe it could be bounced around the channel, but not leave the node, something like that. I mean, would you say like compared to web hosting, you know, you've got, Shared hosting, and then you've got like I run a dedicated server for my show, and in the between right. there, there's something like virtual private server where like you're on a shared server, but you're partitioned from everybody else. Like, would that be a oh, yeah, yeah. analogy? Yeah, yeah, you're definitely partitioned, but I think there's something else going on at the encryption level where you um, say I think one key is stored in your uh, on your mobile device or something ah. or or in your app uh, or in user app. So that's the only thing that the, the company has. And then they give you the second key. 
um, that essentially is your password or whatever um, okay. that you use to sign transactions. Uh, again, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about it yet. It's still it's still being built. I've, I know a few companies are working on it, but um, we'll see we'll see when it comes out. But I think there's something probably a little bit more, um, uh, yeah, more like encryption based. Um, whether it's on a multi-sig or not, I'm not sure, but something like that. So right now, like almost all your projects, or I think all your projects, are like Bitcoin lightning initiatives in some way, like yeah. Bitcoin racing or what have you. You guys do want to be like the Indiegogo, GoFundMe, Kickstarter, like of all things eventually, right? Like that, like you don't want to like say, oh, we don't believe in what you're doing, so you can't use our platform. Yeah, we, we want to try to be as, 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 as open, uh, as possible. And I think that's sort of how we win, right? We don't just, yeah. uh, we don't censor, like, we don't, we want to kind of get out of the way. Like, uh, as long as people don't like do projects that are harmful, abusive, uh, in which case we will, due to regulations, have to push them down. At the end of the day, we are, we are a company. Um, yeah. Uh, if you want to run your Ethereum, if somebody wanted to Kickstarter for a child porn movie, no, you can't yeah. do that, right? Yeah. Like exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, and so, and so, guys, it really becomes a platform for people to, for anyone to, to start their, their projects and in initiative. Um, again, kind of talking about the censorship level, there's two two key things when you think about censorship, right? The, the first thing is uh, the, the money, and the second is the the data, uh, the deplatforming. Right. So if you look at the first one, Bitcoin has already enabled censorship resistant crowdfunding. Uh, we think Lightning will be the main the main layer on which uh, most of our economy will operate. So we want to focus on Lightning. It's just that. So currently we're focusing on custody, but we know that non-custody solutions are coming to Lightning. So I think the, the, the money piece of censorship resistance is is being covered or is 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 about to be covered pretty much. So uh, you know, essentially, we become a platform for um, for enabling uh, essentially for for, for to, to do crowdfunding that cannot be where funds cannot be freezed, and that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, uh, but then yeah. there's still the problem of of the of the data of of the project, right? And and here, what I mean is, you create a you you create a project. And then the government comes to us and say, shut this project down. Well, uh, we'll, we'll be able to say we cannot freeze the funds because we don't own them, but we still have to shut them down. So how do you prevent that? Well, the key answer to that is you can't really prevent it because we are a company. We are, uh, we are liable. Um, and therefore we can't really do much about it. But uh, what we can do is work on a protocol la- layer. Right. So there's these two things. There's platforms and there are protocols. Platforms are profit centered. They are uh, also very easy to shut down. They're sing- single points of failures. But then protocol protocols are uh, non-profit oriented and they are open. They're standards that anyone can use and, and operate. And what we've been seeing in the last few years is that there's a plethora of, of, of distributed database systems. These protocols that essentially organize data in a way that is not centralized, that are incredibly powerful. So we've seen a few with Nostra. Nostra has come out uh, as emerged recently as a very powerful tool. There's IPFS. Uh, there are these other ones called um, uh, uh, Hyper 
uh, goodness, what, what Synonym is working on with slash tags and hypercore that again, are like this distributed databases that, uh, allow us to, um, essentially build on this, I guess what, how we can visualize it is a bit like the, the, the mycelium running underground mm-hmm. where you can tap into what other people's databases are. So imagine if you're sending a tweet and you could read it from Facebook. That, that's a type of thing that you could enable through a distributed database. It's just interoperable data. Bitcoin is interoperable money, but the, the, the protocol layer in the, the distributed data sense enables distributed um, information. And so what that would allow us to do is say, again, the government comes to us and say, hey, we don't like this project about, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, these, Whatever. these, these, pro, these protests, matter. right? Yeah. We'll say, okay, we'll shut it down because we kind of have to. But, that, but you're just kind of project, shoving it off at a product. It's still there. It's just not it's still visible there. on your – It's just yeah. not visible on Geyser. So anyone else, any other platform based anywhere else could pull the data, all of the data, and and visualize. So you, you get this game of guacamole where you're trying to shut it down, and it keeps on popping up everywhere. And so I think I, this is where this is where I, you want to you wanna get to. I think our weakness right now is these little boxes. These, and for those that are on the audio, I'm holding up my phone, right? But this is because we run an app and we, you know, we saw the big takedown of Parler, uh, by big media during the, the election and a coordinated attack where AWS pulled their hosting and mm-hmm. Google and, uh, Apple shut down their apps and then they were dead. And they, it took them like two months to come back and they just never got the momentum back. It's a very dangerous right. thing in social media. If you have a successful platform for things not to work for any period of time, like all that enthusiasm dies, right? Right. Where I think we're heading to a world, and I've said this for a couple of years now, and I think we're getting closer and closer to where people will stop carrying an Apple or a Google anything. They're going to carry a small communication personal computer, which is what this is, without these overlords controlling it. And then you have like the open source app market. And then we're down to that, again, like that protocol layer where, where somebody that was really smart could just say, oh, they got the platform. I'm going to create an app that will just re- like regenerate them, like squishing, a, like if you ever your kid, you squish an ant and you're sure you killed it. And the ant's just like, and it just starts going again, like a Terminator, right? Like you can destroy it, but but it's still there. And if that yeah. person receiving the funds is receiving to their own node, you pushing them on the platform is an inconvenience, but it's not seizing their funds. Those funds are gone. Bill and Debbie and Tommy already sent that those Satoshis. They're gone. you got to go deal with that person who's probably in another jurisdiction if you know right. who they are. Yeah, and this is where you want to be, right? It's, you want to live in a system that is anti-fragile. And I think uh, uh, Nassim Taleb, now a... Uh, uh, an outcast in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, uh, he, he did it to himself. He wrote, yeah, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote the, you know, the, the beautiful analogy of the Hydra, like the anti-fragility is this idea that, you know, the more you fall, the, the stronger you get. Well, the Hydra is this thing, like you chop off the head of a Hydra, which has three heads. Uh, every time you chop it off, two more sprout out, right? And you want the system of, of anti-fragility embedded in a system. Um, because that way, that's how you get stronger. And so decentralization here becomes important 
based on how, uh, um, you know, essentially the, the more you, you're willing, uh, the more you're wanting to chop heads off, uh, the more heads are going to be, uh, sprouting. Um, so you do want to get to this point where you, 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 you know, the, 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 the legal system is this powerful system to actually, that's meant to be supporting us, like the constitution, right? It's meant to actually, uh, support our rights. Uh, and just, I'm saying this just because I had a conversation about this recently, but, um, uh, the constitution protects our rights, right? But technology offers us a solution, the, uh, an, an alternative legal structure, um, that is really grounded on, on, on physics that can allow us to, um, to live abide and, and abide by these, by these principles of, um, of, of independence and, and, and self-sovereignty. Um, and so we, we, this is the, our main like toolkit to, to contrast against authoritarianism and, and tyranny uh, all around the world. Gotcha, man. Um, so it occurs to me that there are a lot of people out there like myself. I'm part of a pretty small telegram group and we're bouncing around ideas all the time. And some of us actually have some funding. We could certainly use more. And some of us have some pretty killer app ideas that we would like to develop. The problem is I would never go out and say, I need $25,000 to develop this app because I don't know, right? I don't, I'm not a coder. I can't code. I know I can spec what I want and I and spec how I want it to, to, to work. Um, do you guys ever see yourselves having sort of that kind of thing too, like a way that people can connect with like, this this group or this person has developed apps in the past and their customers are happy, right? Or is that like something that like could be maybe federated to somebody else takes on that role? Because I would totally Absolutely. use my my reach, my minor celebrity, call it whatever you want, to, to, to push to develop something. But then I have to feel like the people that contribute those funds, they're going to get the thing that I promised. And right now, I could say it's going to cost 25 grand to do it. Maybe it's going to cost 100. Maybe it's going to cost 50. I, I have no way of pricing hmm. layer three app development. I don't have any idea, but I damn well know what I wanted to do, at least as a Gen 1 platform. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? Really good question. The, I guess to reframe the question is, <clears throat> how can this become a more general purpose <clears throat> crowdfunding slash crowdsourcing tool, right? How do we, how does it become a place for people to come together as communities to get shit done, right? Yeah. And um, rather than, and uh, that's a hundred percent spot on and it's exactly the type of problems that we want to solve. So if you look at crowdfunding platforms today, like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, like all, every, every single crowdfunding platform, what it is, is just a static page with Maybe some like transaction numbers, a number of people that are funded and comments. That's, that's pretty much it. And what, what we're playing with uh, at a geyser at the moment is this idea that what if we just separated those two things out? So mm-hmm. what you'd get is actually this high level entity of the project, right? Which is like, I want to build this cool web system, right? And then. Separated from that are what we call posts. It's like you want to write an article uh, about about it, but then you have another idea and you want to write another article about it. Then maybe you have an update and maybe you get featured in a podcast and you want to add your podcast. And maybe you want to shoot a video about 
that idea and you shoot a video. And every time you create content, you create potentially much more engagement. You create like, uh, you create these like powerful tools for, um, for people to, okay, wow, well, like I want to fund this idea just because there's a lot more content. Um, but then you also can do more things. Like you can, you know, integrate ways for people to communicate with each other. You can, uh, you can, um, like, like you said, like maybe people have questions, maybe people want us to contribute in different ways, right? Um, all of that, like essentially is something that, that we're, we're working on, uh, essentially making guys are not into a, like a standard, like static, uh, pay platform for crowdfunding, but really a dynamic place where people can engage, write content, uh, and, and try to crowdfund and crowdsource these uh these ideas that can then become reality because a lot of it is like you say it's like communication it's uh it's it's getting people together it's uh uh it's not just the money like the money is like an outcome but then people want to actually even those that are funding want to feel part of something um yeah, and actually something else that we also have at the moment already are rewards. So you're not just funding just to donate, but you're funding to receive yes, something probably. back. Yeah, exactly. It's, and that creates a lot more engagement, a lot more like a reciprocity in the system. So, uh, for example, yeah. I think if you fund the, the Bitcoin racing car, you know, above a certain amount, you can go to the racing races yourself. You can get a T-shirt and jumper and uh, all sorts of other perks kind of thing. You know, if you were doing a paid app, maybe your early adopters get lifetime access to the paid app for free or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You know? Like you can do exactly. it's, it's, it's the whole Kickstarter thing. Like the model itself is a brilliant model until you want to do something that they say you're not allowed to do. I want to build an accessory for a firearm. Even though it's not a firearm, I can't do it, right? Like right. even if right. I can – here it is. I made one in my shop and I want to do this thing. I mean, I remember a guy years before all this stuff started, he made – a uh, real simple add-on rear sight for an SKS, which has a terrible sighting system, right? It popped on, and all of a sudden you had like a – it wasn't an M1 Garand, but you had a sight picture like an M1 Garand, and those were like 50 bucks. And I'm like, today that would be a great product, and he could probably get a lot more traction with it in the firearms community, but he none of these platforms would be available to him. There's nothing illegal about it. There's nothing immoral about it. It can't hurt anybody. A lead ball is just as dangerous as a sight. In fact, a lead ball is probably heavier hurts you more. And so I, I see that, but also like when you're talking about like developers and like people like me that would need to find developers, I think we not, we need to not be afraid to reclaim terminology that shit corners have ruined and say like, yeah. we, we can use that for, cause it's a legitimate thing. Smart contracting where wouldn't it be great if like I hired somebody to do this and then there, there was like this group of devs, they don't mm. do it. They just can look at it and go, this, this metric has been met, released this part of the payment. So the payment goes into, and this is where custodial would work better. The payment is sitting here. And because when I went, when I way, way back, I was in uh, network cabling and stuff like that. And we would do big oh. jobs, million dollar jobs. Well, a contractor can't finish the whole job and stay in business. They have to be able to bill out as they go through progress. Well, you and the customer could just go, yeah, we installed a hundred cables so far. They're jacked and tested. Okay. That progress billing goes out. When you're talking about developing an app, and it's somebody like me dealing with some coder that's writing code, they can baffle me with bullshit, 
But if there was like 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 my Jedi Council of of coder approval, that maybe they get a few sats every time they say yay or nay. And when you got more mm-hmm. than you know seventy five percent of the Jedi Council to say mm-hmm. this metric's been met, that triggers an automatic payout of that much billing. But I return retain the code. So if you go away, I can pick somebody else up. I, I know that's not really what Kaiser does, but I can see. No, that. no, no. That's that's a hundred percent. Yeah, that's 100% aligned with with, uh, with what, yeah, with what we're thinking as well. Like, you, I think what you're kind of suggesting here is with the Jedi Council, Council is that you have this group of people that maybe uh, get to almost through a multi-sig control yeah. funds, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's totally doable. Yeah. And, and they, you know, you could yeah. set it up to worth a small amount because a lot of those guys like they want to help projects. They don't need a ton of money, but they would they would get their their little riff. For saying yes or no, so they're not incentivized to say yes. They're incentivized to speak the truth, right? Like yeah. that would because monetizing the truth is something I've been trying to figure out as well. Like how do we how do we monetize truth versus bullshit? Because most right. marketing right. and most the media is the monetization of bullshit. Um, Look, uh, I think just to say something that's really really important, and um, it's kind of a hard one. I think the power of technology is that actually it has helped us with time to get rid of the bullshit. It has off, it has incentivized, it has realigned our incentives to cooperate. And so we, we think a geyser, uh, uh, you know, and and like, this is what the internet did, right? Like the, first of all, the market did it right through just pricing. The fact that prices became homogenized, you don't have to go to the butcher and he would, you know, just kind of cheat you because you could go to the other marketplace and say, Hey, it's cheaper over here. So the, the kind of standardizing mar- uh, prices, uh, uh, have, has helped just the market itself has done that. Then the, the revolution with the internet, uh, well, actually even before that, like think about the printing press, right? The printing press has standardized as the version of, of, of sacred scripts and then like the Bible. What does that do? That like, you know, homogenizes and takes away the potential for for forgery and, and, and like omissions and stuff like that. Right. And then the internet, the internet puts us all together in, in this similar place. Um, uh, and, and, and gets us to, you know, uh, kind of collaborate in the, in the same, in the same endeavors. And so, and, and Bitcoin in a similar way, like people say, like, what's the most powerful force, right? Uh, what is the most important thing? To kind of, to enable success. Well, it's reputation, especially mm-hmm. in the context of the online ecosystem. So this is where uh, on Geyser, we, you know, and I think more has been built on this other protocol la- layer, but we can leverage reputation. So sure, you get, you get paid, you, you could, you could run away with the money, but what's in your interest? Like, is it really to run away with the money or is it to actually build that, um, that thing that you, yeah. that you wanted to do? Uh, and this is, you know, so far we have had no, like defaults. I think there was one person that had a trouble with the developer leaving the project, but he's still trying to get it done. And so yeah. guys are, we don't want to like kickstart the way that they solved it is like people have one month to make that all that money. If they don't make them, if they don't achieve the goal, the funds go back to the user, to the senders. Yeah. Right. And so they want to just, the way of tackling it is people get all the money. And then once they get the money, they actually implement that project much more effectively with us. We want to create a much more dialogic, system where people come together people are not just funding they're supporting they're asking questions um they are uh, maybe even helping to build it like you suggested and so that creates 
a much more close-knit system. It creates communities where things are done and not just like a place where you just send the money and get, get the thing back. Um, and with that tight-knit community, I think we'll start seeing, um, you know, co- cooperation emerge almost like, uh, uh, as 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 a as a as a consequence of that tight knit community that is being created. Yeah, because I mean the vision has to include a network effect. Because if right now I had an initiative I wanted to do, I can get a WordPress login, I can throw it on my site, and I can make it work just like Kickstarter. I can put riffs and bonuses and all that, and I can accept Bitcoin, I can accept Visa, I can accept Mastercard, I can accept, accept Strike, I can accept whatever I want, and I can run that. So then, why would I give any money at all to Kickstarter? The reason I would do it is, one, I don't know how to do what I just said, but that can be solved with YouTube videos in a day if you really want to. If you if you already know WordPress, a day in YouTube, and you can do that. One of our uh, expert council members, Nicole Sauce, did that for her coffee fundraising. I would go to Kickstarter, GoFundMe, whatever, because I have a belief that once I get traction, I prime the pump, right, prime the well, I bring my people that I have reach into, and I get exposure on the platform – I will get people that will support what I'm doing who'd not have known about me without the network. So the network has to grow to create that network effect. And the more interaction you can create between people on the network, whether they're donors, they're builders, they're coders, they're compliance enforcement, right? Like imagine an entity that does its own compliance enforcement. That would be that, that gen, you know, I don't know if that's the right term for the gen, lack of a better term. You never, you're never wrong for, for echoing Star Wars, right? Like the Jedi Council of coders, like it, it ensures its own compliance and the compliance isn't, this is what we want you to do. It's you're doing what you said you would do. Like do what you say and say what you do. Like that's, that's actual, that's legitimate compliance because if you've agreed to back my project, I don't think it's anybody else's business that they don't like what I'm doing as long as I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not building a ray gun to destroy planet Earth or something like that, right? Like, as long as what I'm doing is something that it's basically not harming another person, that's between us. But it is an right. issue if you've given me money to do it and I'm, you know, and I'm off by a margaritas on the beach with it. That's, that's not mm. cool, right? So if you mm. can create... In inbound compliance and expand the network effect because I think all these layer three apps, the thing that is going to kill the non like the non layered apps, the, the 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 old world, the leg like, it's hard to believe that smartphone apps are now in a legacy environment, but they are. Yeah. Is that if you have the network effect and you have monetary incentive incentivization, mm-hmm. then every app on your phone is either going to adopt it or be extincted. Because mm-hmm. I, I've talked about this idea uh, for a while, and, and one of the guys here in the chat actually wants to build it, is like a Waze app that is incentivized the way Fountain is. So Waze is a traffic app. You get directions, right? Yeah. Yep. But the cool thing about Waze is, like, I was hooking ass on my way back from Tennessee to Texas during my last trip, and I'm doing, like, 90. And also the thing pops up on Waze, and it's a little police lights, and it's, like, cop mm-hmm. ahead running radar. So you slow down. Well, right. that's a great app. But how does Waze make money? By collecting my data and selling it to companies, right, uh, or the government. Right. But if if this was an independent, true app, and you ratted that cop out to me, I'm probably like, give that dude 100,000 Satoshis. 
right now because you just saved me a contact and a ticket and insurance. So that app would work better. So if you build a app platform protocol, call it what you want, that enables people to do crowdfunding and is self-policing and incentivizes mm. everybody, mm. then why would I use your legacy crap like Kickstarter? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's run that on, on Geyser when we're ready. Uh, I like the idea of the ways out. Uh, that's brilliant. And yeah, yeah, we'll have to still figure out some of these. I think you've mentioned some good points and, you know, if, you know, which led me to think about some other ideas, like, you know, if you're funding, you know, you know, you know, we could potentially, you know, give the option to hold that, those funds, right? Until that product is actually released and then people get to decide and judge the person. Um, and maybe if the, if like 70% of the funders, uh, I, you know, say that it was a good product or are happier, satisfied, then the funds go to the person, right? Yeah. These, these sets of things that could, could be done. Um, and if, even if not, even if the funds do go to the, go to the person, you still get to rate them, right? And so again, reputation becomes so powerful. See, this because is, it aligns us. So Think about how strong this is though, what you're saying compared to something like Kickstarter, we shall decide. You could have this set up to where the person building the project offered that as an incentive. We, we will use 40% of this as the build and then the, the, the 60% will be determined and they can say what percentage of the customer has to be happy. And then it's a right. contract. You made a con- We didn't do anything. All we did at Geyser was we just laid out the tools for you to create yeah. your contract with your donors and your means of enforcement and you fit. The contract don't care, right? Like mm. we used to say in construction, the contract was the Bible. Mm. If I had a disagreement with a client about, you know, there's a change order here and this is how much it's going to cost, we might disagree. You said this, like, get the contract out. And then either one of us, whichever one of us was wrong, we read it in the contract. Oh, okay. It was done. Like there's no argument. But if it's an electronic contract, it, it does it by itself. I can't help you with your unhappiness. Maybe you need, you know, maybe you get a chance to go back and say, well, let us, let us make you happy. Right. So, so when you say electronic contract, do you mean the contract to, uh, do, do you mean like the, the incentives within the app or do you mean the actual like, um, I mean, like we were uh, talking about holding the payout, conditions. Right. like holding the payout. Right. So the reason I would do funding to build an app is, I don't have enough funding to build the app out of pocket. Yeah. But if I do it, I should be able to raise enough funding that there's some profit in it. Maybe I need a piece of it now and then I can take the balance later. Right. The contract yeah. I'm talking about would be what you said. Like if 70% of the backers right. say they're happy, then you, then you get the rest of your money. What gotcha, I'm saying gotcha, gotcha. is yeah, yeah, yeah. basically like a slider on the thing when I'm setting up my, my project uh, my threshold for payout is 80%. My threshold for payout is 60%. My threshold, like, and then the donor literally sees, the backer, yeah. the funder literally sees, this is what I'm, this is the skin I'm putting in the game. And then that contract yeah. is not really geyser enforcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a sort of smart it's, contract. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. on the fly smart contract that executes itself. Yeah. I, again, I, I think that's a great idea. We'd have to, yeah, I think, there's definitely a lot of 
yeah, it was still a little bit early for that. We need a geyser co- campaign uh, to develop that for geyser. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Because <laughs> that's yeah, one thing I want, I want to say something on behalf of all you guys building this stuff right now. There's a lot of people in our space that they try an app or something and maybe it doesn't work perfectly right away or whatever. Guys, all of these people I've talked to, back channel and on air, they're all small teams. They're working their freaking asses off and they're built, they're not building a new widget. They're building something that never existed before. And so we can throw all these ideas at them. Don't expect them to like next week go, here you go. That's not how this works, man. And, and, and I have incredible respect for all of you guys developing tech like this because it is, you know, Star Wars, let's go to Star Trek where no man has gone before, right? Like you're doing things that have never been done before in a way they've never been done. Uh, absolutely. Look, you know, conversations like these are so are so valuable because they elicit these different new ways of thinking about it. Um, for me, actually, I have a different background. As I said before, I come from the anthropology and economics, so not not tech related uh, at all. But uh, I did go, you know, into studying, you know, coding and programming for for quite a bit. So that helped. But uh, you're absolutely right. Like building products is is actually. It's like the opposite of doing anthropology. Like it's, it's actually, so anthropology and like understanding users and understanding people is really important to understand what problems they face. And like we all know some big problems that we face today, like, you know, the problem of censorship. And so we, we, we yeah, there's definitely, and like, you know, getting user feedback, that's really great for it. But for really developing new products, you actually have to get out of the user's mental model. Mm. You have to get out of it because the user will not know what they really need. So you have to understand, listen to the user very attentively, understanding what their problems are or what the problems, uh, and the problems they have may, they may be aware of them, but they may not be aware of them, right? <clears throat> and then you need to build a solution that actually is, uh, like I've said to you before, Kickstarter is actually the static page, right? That is actually a, a post plus the fun kind of together. You have to yeah. get, out of that mental model and rebuild based on the kind of the primary constituents of that. And so you got to think through like back in history, like, you know, how did that get created? How do you get them out and how do you recreate something different? And yeah, it's a powerful process, but uh, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mick's right here saying, I learned in IT many years back, never ask the client what they want as they will ask what they want to accomplish. I think he was going for that. I think that's the thing. Like, you don't want a drill bit, you want a hole, right? So you come to me for a hole, and I look at the wall, and I go, that's going to take a torch, right? And that's what I'm going to put the hole in the wall with. So I think that's... But, but you might not need you might not need to put a hole in the wall either. Maybe right. the solution is like a sticker, right? Like yeah. you don't even need to do that. Like a hole, right? Or maybe it's like the wall's over there. All you had to do was turn around, right? Like so... Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of, and then the other side though is you got all these people with all this super technology mindset and you guys build a thing and you think, well, everything's in there, but the person trying to use it that didn't build it has trouble finding it or operating it. And so one of the things like I've been doing to try to help the fountain guys is I'm doing tutorial screenshot videos. This is how you do all these things. And I think it's a very intuitive app, but I've been playing with technology for 40 years. So oh. maybe, maybe I, Maybe I pick it up faster. I don't know. And I think the other side of it is people are afraid. Like people are afraid mm. to do a thing because they might break it or something like that. Once they see it done. So I think the more we can onboard people with 
explain it to me like I'm in seventh grade, man, or fifth grade. Like, you show me exactly paint by numbers how to do it. And because you're building a tack that does a thing that a person doesn't even know can be done. So they can't operate it, not because it's hard, but because they're not even, their mind's not there. So like, yeah, I've found, I've done videos and I'm like, why am I doing this video? This is so uh, yeah. simple. Like you can send an email, you can do this. And then I'll get a ton of emails saying, dude, thanks for that video. And it was just because they saw somebody do it and they're like, oh, it's okay to do it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, 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 these are, we, it's like, like you said, like, if you look at the early days of the internet, people were like, what is an email for? Right. And yeah. it's like, there's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of training. We're still early. Yeah. We have a lot of, uh, but as soon as we show the value and the impact, uh, people will, will jump on board. Uh, yeah. I remember and, yeah. good morning. I remember good morning America in the early nineties. Yeah. And they, they were like, like all these airheads and they're like, so exactly what is internet and what is that yeah. symbol? Like, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Like, like it was like this foreign thing that now everybody uses. And I think like yeah. we're in a, we're in an early, we're not in an early adoption phase. We're in an early, we're in a pre-adoption because we're in a creation stage. The stuff that's going to be adopted in the next five years can't be early adopted because it's not here yet. Mm. Like we're adopting yeah. the, the, the alpha, not the beta product. We're adopting the alpha as adopters and, yeah, you're pioneers. You get some arrows in the back. Um, one thing I, reason, I really think this is all really important, though, is what I see coming. You keep mentioning your background in economics. I see coming eventually from the state, uh, and it'll be different flavors of it around the world in different nations. In the U.S., it actually might be some sort of stable coin pulled into FDIC. Uh, in China, it'll be a pure CBDC, central bank digital currency. And I think that we need to... We need to do almost everything with Satoshis because it's the only way that we can can fight this. Like Jim Rogers came out recently, and I don't think he knows jack crap about crypto anyway. He's the one of those oldies like a Peter Schiff. But he said, be careful investing in crypto because eventually the government will control it. Well, I think there's a lot of cryptos the government could control. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong in of itself, but you are controlling the Bitcoin blockchain. You're not doing it. It's not happening. There's no magic switch. Somebody would have thrown it by now, right? Like, so how do you think what you're doing and what other Bitcoin-only companies are doing relates to the threat of central bank digital currencies? Hmm. Good question. <clears throat> um, I mean, not not much, I'd say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, CBDCs are a bit of a different beast, uh, from, from, from Bitcoin. I think, I guess how you can relate it is that we're doing something very different, right? We are, we're, we're, we're building on this, uh, immutable platform, uh, of Bitcoin that, uh, cannot be censored, um, that uh, is, you know, this bare instrument, um, that cannot be inflated, that cannot be censored, that cannot be seized. These are the key three components of Bitcoin. So, yeah, I think CBDCs are a real a real possibility, and I'm I'm sure we will see um, we will see countries going that way, other countries going other ways. I believe there's actually an experiment now in in, um, uh, in Jamaica. I think they have a CBDC in place in Jamaica. Uh, I had a friend going there to, to kind of understand, to kind of see what what was going on. I'd love to see see what's happening. The pro- the problem with CBDCs is that well. 
the first thing I have, I'll probably say with, about CBCs is that they will be offered probably as a solution to the current problems. Mm-hmm. So the current, the current banking system is structured in such a way that the money flows first to the main banks and then it kind of trickles down through that to everyone else. Now, uh, as bad of a system as, as this is, it, it does prevent, you know, this hyperinflationary potential of it. As soon as you create a CBDC, you're creating a line of credit that goes directly from the central bank to each individual user's wallets. And the potential there for misallocation of capital, uh, of, C- of censorship, of, um, of, of hyperinflationary bursts is gigantic. You just need to add another zero and then boom. You just need to, you just need to, uh, vote for the right person. You just need one politician that will promise you millions in your, in your wallet and boom, you know, hyperinflation. So the dangers are enormous. Uh, and actually there's a lot of people saying that actually CBDCs are unconstitutional. Um, and I, I, I believe it. Um, see, but I think, I think Karl Marx was the person who was saying, that you know he would have liked in the, in the communist manifesto uh, to have um, you know governments own uh, central bank money right and that, that back that was back in the day in the gold standard sure. so the, that's the world we live in today but that's like to the power of of so much more because it's like you know essentially uh, money that can be seized money that can be inflated at will immediately uh, and money that can be censored so it's the exact opposite of of Bitcoin. Um, the censorship is yeah. my biggest concern because it could be censored not just in you can't have your money. It could be censored yeah, yeah, in, yeah. well, you make $1,000 a week, but you need to spend $300 of it on the kind of food we say you're allowed to buy. You need to spend $150 on your health care, and the individual space credit units, dollars, yen, won, whatever, can literally be earmarked. With data in the in, in the, it's not even really a blockchain, but we'll call it one because that's how people think. It says this 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 dollar, this yen, this one, this whatever, can only be spent on this classification of things, and the the counterparty can't accept it with that basic data lock on it. And so, to me, the reason I actually think this is related is if we can operate in a world outside of the dollar, then they can do whatever they want. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I can, if I can, if I can build a business with backers using pure Satoshis and pay my bills to start my company with Satoshis and accept Satoshis as payment for my product, then go make all the CBDCs you want. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's why there are a lot of Bitcoiners that are actually pro CBDC because that's how you get to Bitcoin, right? You you get people to realize how how messed up the system is and how much they can be censored. And then that's when they realize the true potential of, of Bitcoin. Because it's to the, some extent, the, red button, the current right? system... It's the red right. nuclear button that if, if it you is. push it, then, yeah. then this is the result. And the longer you wait to push it, the worse the result gets. Like I've said for years, like I keep getting threatened by YouTube. I get strikes. I get suspended, whatever. <laughs> but I don't get banned, right? right. And I'm like, right. if you banned all the big YouTubers that you say are bad then we would actually be able to move people off YouTube. So if you you implement a CBDC that works that way, there's enough brand awareness around Bitcoin right now that Mm. people, even if they're not all in yet, they know there's an alternative. 
And the more exactly. that news tightens, the more it's like I need to get I need to get my wealth out of fiat. You know, and I've always said like people think they're not in fiat because they're in equities, like they own Exxon. Well, what's it denominated in? Mm-hmm. If it's denominated in dollars, you're in fiat. And it's it's seizable, it's censorable. Like you said, it's inflatable. I can inflate away your equity. Right? You can you can own a hundred thousand dollars worth of Exxon stock, but if I devalue what it means and, and Exxon stock doesn't have to go down. Yeah. If I devalue the hundred thousand dollars to now being worth eighty thousand dollars, effectively you have eighty thousand dollars worth of Exxon stock. And I've devalued your dividend as well. But I can't devalue a Satoshi. It can go up and down with market forces, but you can't you you can't make more, so you can't devalue through inflation. Yeah. No, I, I I I see that. I don't know. That's that. The, the world is the future is very uncertain. But I I think yeah. I think that's a pretty pretty a pretty accurate uh, attempt at speculation. Uh, I think just the idea the idea that com- countries will try to do these 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 CBDCs. Uh, and, and, and people start understanding that these are like just the, all these conditionalities that can be applied to them, to it, right? Um, just from like just pure, like just direct, uh, censorship to, oh, you can only use this for this particular thing. Mm-hmm. That's when people realize hey, this, this is not money. This is a voucher. This is a voucher. Um, we and don't it, take it, it generation only... credits here. <laughs> right. <laughs> So actually, if, so if you're interested in this type of thing, there is actually a project on Geyser called um, uh, Don't Let Them Shackle You. Uh, CBDCs Don't Let Them Shackle You. And they're essentially doing a crowdfunding campaign that is focused on marketing the danger and potential uh, e- evil of CBDCs. So they're going to launch in New York, Los Angeles, Miami, London, Davos, Washington, D.C., and they're, they're, they're going to be showing, maybe I can drop the, the link here, uh, in the, in the, in the private chat. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Perfect. And essentially it's people, it's these guys that are, you know, passionate about this stuff. Uh, they've done a lot of research and they, they know how, you know, how, how, how dangerous CBDCs are and, uh, how they're potentially authoritarian and anti-human rights, essentially plan and pro-censorship. And so they're just getting these funds, uh, to, um, to, to, to sponsor this marketing campaign. And I think they've partnered with a pretty big design and advertising agency. Oh yeah. 10, 10K advertising. And yeah, they've got these really slick posters and oh, just really to, to communicate, to communicate the power of like the, the, the dangers of, of that. Wow. This is, this is well done. Yeah. And it's just an awareness. So this has, like, you, you, yeah. You've reached your daily quota of meat, you know, like imagine being told yeah. that that's the type of thing that can be done. Right. You can have more bugs, but you cannot yeah. have more meat, right? You, exactly. You will eat the meat and you will be happy. Or you will eat the bugs and you will be happy. Yeah. Introducing a trickle tax of, on 401k on realized gains. No actions required on your part. Yeah, this is, this is a terrifying world. I'm going um, ba- to back this one as soon as we're done. I'm going to throw some stats. Hell yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because people do absolutely. need to become aware and we need to realize like how much power there is and just, you know, there's a reason people that are like, I used to be that worked at corporate American marketing make lots of money because marketing works because marketing's powerful. It and is. Yeah. People believe a thing is real when they see it in marketing collateral. It's really strange, but you can tell your brother about something over and over and over and over again. 
and he doesn't believe it, but if he sees it on a billboard or a race car, yeah. well, now I might not agree with it, but it exists because it was in yeah. this, this space. Yeah. There's people that have worked exactly. very hard for a hundred years to make it that way. And instead of fight it, let's grab it. Let's put the canoe in the stream and let's go with it, man. Let's own it. Um, Absolutely. So tell people how they can, how they can learn more. And like, I think the way it works right now from what you said is if, they, if somebody wants to do an initiative, they kind of fill out a form and you guys have to kind of set it up for them. And there probably is some limitations right now, the, the size of your yeah. team. Like you probably don't want too many things running at once because you got to keep up with everything. But how, how do people yeah. back projects, set up projects, find out more? So backing project is super easy. Just go on Geyser, look at any projects you like, and you can just fund directly. You don't even need to log in. It's like you can fund anonymously. Uh, creating a project, you have to go on Geyser, uh, click on the launch button on the top, and there you can just tell us a little bit more about it, and we'll get back in touch. Uh, but we do have like around 100 projects that are waiting to uh, to, to launch uh, okay. uh, on, on Geyser, but I mean, let's, you know, we're happy to, to take a look. We're trying to also prioritize things that we feel are, you know, very strong, uh, have strong impact, uh, for Bitcoin. Um, but the, the main issue is, yeah, yeah, we are a very small team, only like two, two, you know, two developers. Um, and so we're folk trying to put most of our, of our energy into actually building the creation flow so that anyone can create a crowdfunding platform. So we're only releasing one project per week so that we can kind of keep engagement going. Uh, but also that allows us, gives us enough time to actually build what's coming next. So yeah, find, find us on, on Twitter. We're most active at, uh, at Geyser Fund, uh, or on, you know, on our website at geyser.fund and, uh, yeah, keep, keep an eye out. Uh, I'm MetaMic14 on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're quite active mainly on, on, on Twitter. And yeah, I think the next few months, you're going to see some, some big changes. So, uh, looking forward to hear all this feedback is always welcome. So, uh, in kind of putting my money where my mouth is, uh, we can talk offline as soon as we wrap up, which we're about to do. And if I get the username for who owns the, Geyser side over on Fountain. I'm going to do a split off this podcast for all boosts and streams to come in for this episode with you guys, and we'll oh, get that set great. up. And then you can also the- stream it to the crowdfunding campaign that you mentioned. Oh, okay, uh, we could also we can- do that, or to or to Geyser as well. Up to you. Okay, we'll we'll we'll, we'll take that up as soon as we we sign off here. I'll get, I just need a username and know where you want to go. And uh, so I'm going to do a split for this particular episode on all streams and boosts. Uh, and next up, as far as uh, Mick's uh, links that he gave you there, their Twitter uh, and his Twitter personally and Geyser and all of that good stuff, I have that all in the notes. It's already in the notes that will go up for the audio version, which will be live about 30 to 40 minutes after we sign off on our live stream today. So if you missed anything, just go to the survivalpodcast.com or the bitcoinbreakout.com. Either way, the episodes are on both streams. And uh, you can get all that information there. And, dude, thank you. This was an incredible discussion. Uh, I continue to reach out to people like yourself that are building these Layer 3 apps. I don't necessarily need, you know, the people that are big names in Bitcoin. I want the people building next-gen tech because this is where all the excitement is. If people want to get rich with Bitcoin or build wealth with Bitcoin, formula is simple. Buy Bitcoin, put it in cold storage, and put yourself in a coma so you don't do something stupid like sell it. Like that's DCAN and, and stack, right? But if you want to like change the world, 
then this is the stuff that we need to be talking about because there's been this big argument, means of exchange or mm. store of value. You can't yeah. have a store of value. You can't have a means of exchange until it becomes a store of value. Because if it's not a store of value, what the hell is, it, is a means of exchange? You might as well use fiat, right? This means of whatever right. it's worth today. But if we build a true long-term store of value, then people think very carefully about how they spend every Satoshi. And what I've started to see is, is I've been building and working with things like you guys, Fountain, the Fold app, et cetera. I start to think differently. Like if I'm going to buy this glass, well, how many Satoshis is that? Do I really want to spend this money on this thing or do I want to invest it in myself or do I want to invest it in a cause? So I, right, I, I exactly. think this is the future of Bitcoin and it's, you know, we kind of beat up on the alts a little bit, but I don't think it's something that they can compete with because the, the only selling point that like all of these forks of Bitcoin have ever had is it's faster and cheaper. Well, now it's not. And it's not, it's not able to do the things we're talking about. It's not able to stream one or two sats a minute to your favorite podcast, or it's not being able to pay three parties with an instantaneous split. And it's not being made better every day by a guy that works for MIT and a guy in a closet and a guy in a garage all making it better at the same time. And so, dude, thank you for being a pioneer here, and uh, thank you for spending time with us today. Absolutely. It's been a, such a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, really appreciated the, the, the chat. And, uh, yeah, look forward to coming back anytime soon. Absolutely, man. Stuff. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you. A better way